Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God, living well. And we have reached the finale of our Relationship with Money series. I have gotten so much positive and timely feedback with respect to this series because it's one of those things that we don't talk about and we've been taught not to talk about in polite company. And I really wanted to bring somebody to the forefront who was steeped in this work, passionate about this work, and someone who specifically has worked with African-American community, even though I know that not all of my listeners are African-American, But I know that the bulk of you are, and we tend to have some, even just some cultural complications with respect to our messaging about money. And so I have brought to Whole and Complete today, none other than Cara Stevens, the frugal feminista who specializes in helping six-figure Black women step into their financial confidence, demolish debt, amen somebody, and set themselves up for financial success. Cara, thank you so much for coming to this show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So one of the things that I wanted to jump right into is you've been doing this for a while and you have worked with so many women and helped so many people achieve financial breakthroughs. And one of the things that we've already talked about on the show is that when we talk about issues with money or our relationship with money, it's never really just about the money. There are some other things going on. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what you've seen in your work? Thank you for that question. I think in the work that I've done, um, it's never ever about the money. We always associate money with something. And for a lot of us, it's a proxy, it's a stand-in for power, a stand-in for love, a stand-in for visibility, a stand-in for power and control, a stand-in for pleasure in a lot of ways. And so when you're talking about money, it's kind of like James Baldwin used to talk about when he talked about Black English. Like, When you're talking about how people speak, you're not talking about language. You're talking about their mama. You're talking about their daddy. You're talking about where they Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And so I liken that to how money um, plays a role in our lives. You're not just not talking about the dollars and cents. You're talking talking to me about my values. You're talking to me about the ways in which my parents treated money, um, what money meant to them. Structurally, as Black people in this country, we're talking about structural Um, the impact of structural racism and sexism on our household choices or lack thereof. And so with all of that, money becomes, of course, a complicated topic, and rightfully so, especially as people of color in this country. Y'all, first of all, we're not even like two minutes into the interview, Mm -hmm. and I know some of y'all are already like checking for your edges, like, oh my (laughs) goodness, is my wig still on? (laughs) Yes, it is, because all of those cultural complications with respect to not only structure and wealth and you know scarcity mindset within this country and within our culture, but Kara is absolutely, absolutely right with respect to power, control, visibility. When we're talking about money, we're not just talking about dollars and cents. We are talking about the way that we were raised and where we come from and all of that, which I think is a really great segue into money shame. So what have you noticed with respect to money shame? How does that come about? What are the types of things that people are ashamed of and how does that manifest in real life? I think for your audience um, who are majority black women, there's a lot of shame for not having money. There's a lot of shame for being the ones to go to college and get the money. Um, There's a lot of shame spiritually around money if you um, have a strong faith, especially in the Christian faith, 
And so all those things, and especially if you are a woman and you're, you have means and then you're single, your money seems to be a point of community conversation as opposed to being a conversation of your individual choices. And so the shame comes around the expectations culturally and culture in terms of gender, age, marital status, being child-free or having children. It comes around the policing of people's decisions no matter what. So you'll have people say, why are you spending your money on this? When you say, you know, you wanted to do X, Y, and Z. Or if you have acquired a level of leisure um, because of your money, there's this sense of you outgrowing your, your blackness or your community. And so there are ways in which we have to posture in both ends, whether it be when we have money and then we have to prove that we haven't changed or money hasn't changed us, so to speak. And for those of us that um, are in the pursuit of a particular view, how people see us in terms of money, we do certain things. There's a lot of shame around that, like what the actual thing is versus what we actually, the actual reality of your financial status versus the perception that you want others to have. And so there's, everyone gets their own, you know, when it comes to that, like sometimes you have, uh, and it just goes around those expectations about what people think you should be doing and to the degree to which you internalize those expectations and feel that you have to respond and live by those expectations. So y'all, I'm going to go ahead and shake my tambourine for Carl right now. Um, <laughs> you, you all knew this was coming. I really could have done it like in the first few sentences that she uttered. But woo, let's park it here for a minute. Like as as she was talking, my little pencil just is like got smoke on it. So let's let's park it one with this conver- this piece about how when African American women have money, they've gone to college or they've, you know, become six-figure sisters or whatever the case may be. This is a community conversation. And that strikes a nerve with me because I'll be the first to tell somebody, don't count my coins. Like this is not, this ain't that. And yet it also too kind of speaks to expectations almost as if you're saying like, you ain't said it, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it, that black people are not expected to have money. (laughs) That black people are not expected to do well. And if they are doing well, then it's a contestation of their blackness. Like, oh, that's, that's not what we do. This ain't that. And where I struggle with that and what, what strikes a chord with me is that it's one thing if some, if we're being othered, you know, if somebody from the outside comes and, and, you know, points that finger, you know, and they're being haters and they are enjoying, you know, their privilege and things like that. But when it comes from the inside, I feel like that, that resonate, that hit a little different. Right. And I think that there's, there's lots of reasons for that. And all of them at the end of the day, shouldn't really have a large impact on what you decide to do, but it helps for context. So you can give grace to people, but you don't have to give in to their expectations. So because of black people and collectively how we have been kind of, um, well, segregated number one, and then we have these systemic roots of abject racism that could creates abject poverty and generational poverty. There's a common experience of lack, like material lack in our community. So the idea of social mobility and upward mobility is something that we all aspire to, but there's also this, you know, this, this conflict of 
you're leaving the, you're leaving the community, right? And so there become conversations about the outliers in that community and what they owe or don't owe to the rest of us, you know? And so it's complicated. Oh, we, you know what? Some of y'all listening, she didn't stepped on your toe right there because it's interesting. Like listeners, how many of you in your families, when there's that, that one family member that is doing well financially, they have the big house and they got all that room. And now the expectation is, cause you know, we, we running up on that Thanksgiving. We running up on these Christmas holidays. What is the expectation? Oh, we going over to Keisha house. Cause you know, Keisha got all that room. People will, will come in child and start placing furniture, start saying, Oh, well, you know, so-and-so could stay here. It's like, hold up wait a minute. And I don't know if that happens in all the other cultures, white people. I don't know if that's happening for you. Hit me up at Dr. Shante says, and let me know if people coming in there placing furniture in your house, you know, if, if Kim folk are doing you like that, but Cara hit the nail on the head. All of a sudden, this is a community conversation about what is owed to the community. And that if you have all this quote unquote money, what you ought to be doing with it. And that speaks to the lack of privilege that we have, because I'm going to be honest with you. I have, I can't tell you how many times and listeners, you probably have had similar experiences where I have sat in the presence of white colleagues or dignitaries, potentates who unabashedly say, Oh, I was out on my boat this weekend. And you know, we, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we had this fancy dinner. I mean, you know, $5,000 later, we're, we're this, that, and the third, I mean, unashamedly, unabashedly, like this is how we roll and this is what we do. And nobody has any sort of issue with it. I feel like a black person coming in, you know, having those same, saying those same things. One, I don't, I don't know that they would feel comfortable doing that, that feeling like they don't have the privilege because they feel like now it invites a lot of conversation about what they could have, would have, should have been doing with their money. I think that's that's I think it's very accurate. I mean, I can't speak. I can speak also maybe from immigrant populations about this idea of lifting. Well, you know, the, with the Black Women's Club movement, is this idea of lifting as we climb. You know, doing it for the culture. Like we have all these things currently and historically that, because of how we had to work together, um, we haven't been able to readjust how we adapt to new circumstances um, and this idea of individuality within the black community as it relates to how we leverage and use our wealth. Um, and so with that being said, there's also a discomfort for some, not all, um, about what that means about them. You know what I mean? Because if the idea, if the narrative is that black people never have, and then you meet a black person that does, then you're thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with me? that I haven't been able to do that. And sometimes rather than maybe do the work, whether it be the mindset work or the actual practical work of getting your finances in order, you may project those feelings of inadequacy onto someone else. And then you have these conversations. You're very caught up in their pocket and you counting their coins. And let me take this even further, listeners. So Cara, I'm glad you went there. Because listeners, listeners in America, I'll say that because I know I, you all listen to me all over the world and I appreciate you, but let me just, just focus right here in America for a second. This is a capitalist nation, which means there's nothing more important in this country than capital. I mean, like it's not community, it's not people. Like that's why it's more, it's more profitable 
not to cure cancer because, you know, it more money comes in with the treatments and the radiations and the medications and things like that. There's no money in a cure. Okay. So as a, as you become richer, cause you know, you left leaning liberal leaning, you know, politically, well, what is the president? What is the current president saying? We're not going to tax you. We're not going to tax the people that don't have anything. We're going to tax the people that have everything. And so if you are a person who suddenly, you know, started from the bottom, but now you're here, you in a different tax bracket, you operating on a different echelon, as we like to say, you, you in some rare air. Now, all of a sudden you having some different feelings, <laughs> you having some different views you know, not necessarily that you're any less committed to social justice, not that you're any less committed, you know, to trying to help out the plight, you know, of, of the community and, and for the culture. But in terms of your pocketbook, you feel in some kind of way about having your hard earned money, you know, your blood, sweat and tears suddenly ad allocated to social programs. And that's a conversation that we don't often have. We don't talk about that part. Mm hmm. Well, I think that there's some there's some people who in the upper mobility understand that it was they're not self-made, that their wealth isn't self-made in the context of in order for you to build this business, you have to have an infrastructure and that infrastructure is paid for by your taxes and other people's taxes. So there may be the mindset and the mentality that, OK, I can understand that paying my fair share because I've been able to amass this amount of wealth um, is a fair thing. Uh, and there's some that aren't. And then I think there's some in certain communities who feel that they pull them up, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And there was this idea, the myth of meritocracy that we buy into too, to maybe make sense of maybe some of the animosity that comes when we, in our families, when it's just a very complicated conversation because technically you can say, I don't owe you anything. Do you know what I mean? Um, no one owes you anything because you've done it yourself. But if you look at the context that these things were done as, a, as a, an accumulation of a lot of other things, but at the same time, it's still ultimately your choice how you want to um, go about supporting. Whether that means you pay your taxes, you mind your business, that's one way. Say you want to sponsor someone, that's another thing. But I think if anything, when it comes to the idea that Black people are always going to be the underdog. And then when their money interests change or their, their, their socioeconomic status changes, that all of a sudden Blackness is very much tied into, at this point, not having wealth and Blackness is synonymous. But once you change that, that factor of now having wealth, you think like wealthy people, like you're talking about, you no longer right. are no longer are the black person that has nothing. You are a person that happens to be black, but first you're wealthy. And so your interests are to maintain your wealth. And there becomes a conflict of interest, especially if you've never, you, you, weren't, you weren't inherited, you did not grow up with wealth. So there may be a conflict emotionally for some, it's like, F y'all, I got mine, get yours. But for some, um, there's this idea like I have to give back. But then with respect to a sense of resentment with family members who are expecting at the individual level for you to sponsor them, that's a different conversation because you can actually support causes that matter to you without being like, you can move into my house. 
because that's a different conversation. That's a totally different conversation. And it's funny because I recently saw uh, Shaq do an interview. He said, I tell my kids all the time, we not rich. I'm rich. I'm <laughs> you know, if now if you want me to, to support your business or your idea, you're going to have to pitch it. You're going to do the legwork. You're going to have to like, you know, he said, but but we don't have money. I have money. And uh, and it's speaking very much to the to those expectations, you know, within family, within community is like, oh, look at we, you know, my mama used to say we you got a mouse in your pocket. Like, who you who you talking <laughs> about? Like you French, yeah. like we we. So how about we, we we pivot a little bit and talk about something that you you've brought up repeatedly is that, you know, there's this notion that blackness equals not wealthy. OK, or, or you know, this this mentality that. Black people are not supposed to be financially successful. And a lot of that has been internalized. So how do we start to dismantle that mindset? How do we start to shift away and pivot away from that notion and begin to build a healthier relationship with money and and become comfortable with the idea of being wealthy? Um, I think there's several ways. I mean, if you're like a history, like a history buff, or you're just someone that wants to understand that there's a history of wealth of blackness despite the systemic issues you can just pick up a book do you know what i mean there's um books like um our kind of um our kind of people that i think tyler perry did like some type of show around but this idea that even in the midst of high segregation there were upper middle class black communities that were thriving you can look at black wall street um, yes. you can look at um various parts in harlem and you know so just if you want to historically understand that but on a practical level i would say that you have to surround yourself with people online or in communities that offer you a different perspective and then on an interpersonal level or like an intrapersonal level i think it's actually you sitting down and really reflecting on what money stories were you told growing up and to what extent can you find the exact opposite of it so if you say we ain't got McDonald's money, well, show me some black people that have McDonald's money, right? You know, so there are lots of Everybody black people. Everybody been McDonald's. told that we ain't yeah. got go home, make you something. We got money, but no McDonald's money. You right. 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 And so just helping you begin to see at, at so many different levels. We have historically the examples that are counter narratives. We have, you know, online and our contemporaries that are counter narratives. And even in our industries, you know, our respective industries, there are people of people of color and specifically black people who are doing well. But if you want to do your own work, the most important place, which I think the work begins is really dispelling after recognizing what your money stories are and to the extent they are on this, uh, in this spectrum of lack, to what extent are you always believing or hearing that there's not enough, I don't have, um, or that making money is hard or making money is negative in some kind of way for those of us that are spiritual, you know, having too much money means that you worship money um, or having too much money. If you're a woman means you'll never get a man, you know, um, you out, you'll be unattractive to men um, if you're, if you're heterosexual, of course. So those kinds of things, you start there by saying, okay, what do I actually believe? And sometimes it's hard to think about it in the moment, but when a bill comes, or when you want to buy something, you decide not to. Or when you hear someone else doing well and sharing their numbers, kind of scan your body and kind of feel what you feel and see if you can slow down and say, well, what are those feelings telling me about how I feel about money? Or how do I feel about my what kind of 
insight is it giving me and offering me into my current relationship with money and those beliefs? I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's something we mentioned in the last episode. I don't know if you're familiar with Barry Tesler's work, but she's like really big on like that somatic, that body check-in, you know, mm-hmm. like when it come Christmas time, is your chest getting tight? Like, oof, that's a lot of money at one time and, right. and all of that. And it's like, okay, where's that coming from? Let me process that. And I've recently saw somebody that, you know, posted pictures um, on social media of like, I think it was maybe like a, a Louis bag or something like that. And they said, you know, I can't tell you how I, I like, by the time I got to the car, I was damn near in the shakes because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent that kind of money. And just like immediately like, no, you know, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Like listeners, some of you have the means and won't spend them. I think even Tiffany Haddish talked about how Tyler Perry had bought her a car because even though she had reached commercial fame and success, had a few movies under her belt, she had the money to buy a Tesla. And she was like, nope, because I come from broke and you just never know when it's all going to go away and that sort of thing. And Tyler bought her that to just say, it's it's okay for you to have nice things. Like you, it's, it's okay. You know? And so listeners, sometimes we have to make peace with basically what Cara is describing is our legacy of lack. You know, there's so much on, on social media about we need to be creating generational wealth and we need to be breaking generational curses. And I, I, that starts with (laughs) exactly what Cara just described. It's like, wait a minute, let me do some, let me spend some time trying to, to, dismantle the mindset that I was given that I inherited about money. And, you know, I, I talked about how, you know, my mother, she was one of those ones that would lay out there with, with the bills all over the, the kitchen table and the checkbook and talk about how she was robbing Peter to pay Paul and how she can't mail this one until it get just up close to the date. So that by the time it gets there or clears, then the other money then came in from this check and that check. And so, Listeners, it's it's all of that. It's like, what has been your mindset? What has been your upbringing? In what ways are you reinforcing a legacy of lack? And even within your own children and families, how are you having conversations about money? Which is actually where I want to go next with you. So with respect to families, right? Like legacies, little ones, and now people are watching you grow up. How, how would you advise people to start building a healthier narrative with respect to children and money, you know, because we heard things like money doesn't grow on trees and, and all of those types of things. So what do you recommend maybe as an alternative? Yeah, I think um, I have a little one. She's um, she's five. And I knew that similar to your money store with your mom, my mom, she always looked raggedy when she was paying bills. You know what I mean? She looked straight up raggedy. But Monday <laughs> Not raggedy. through Friday, <laughs> okay. yeah, Monday through Friday, she was like a glossy pet. You know, she smelled good. She looked good. But when it came to bills, it was like an ugly experience, literally. Like she had glasses. Mm. They were always crooked. She had this robe. They always looked stained. The and duster, that grandma duster, right? <laughs> she always looked kind of like, it just made me a very anxious person when it came to money and made me think like even when I started making six figures that there's never going to be enough or that spending made you sad you know you should avoid it because of all these various experiences so back to something that I had said before is that you have to recognize what parts of your money story are you going to leave behind because then you're able to identify the benefits of some of those money stories so one thing for me is that I'll always be resourceful 
you would never catch me not being able to figure out a way to make a way. But also, um, I know what I can let go of is that anxiety because I know how to make a way. There'll always be a way. So helping people make sense of the the benefits of that particular money story. And then second is to give your child various examples and various um, experiences with money. So with my daughter, sometimes I say yes to her for everything. So she knows what it feels like to have everything you want. And then sometimes I'm like, listen, there's a limit because we have to do trade-offs. You know, there's a cost benefit to everything. Mm-hmm. I take her to the bank. I take her to the bank. Um, so she signs her checks. You know, I take her like, are we going to save it today, mama? I ask her, are we going to spend it today? So she knows that there's lots of things. Are we going to be, are we going to give some money away? So I consciously and strategically give her various experience with money. Cause a lot of us just have one, we get everything. We don't know where the money comes from or we get nothing. And it's this idea of like money's hard to come by. It's this thing that is always elusive. So when we become adults, we respond accordingly with our behaviors. I think also equipping them with literature at an early age where you see, for example, parents who in, in storybooks, so I was a classroom teacher, like there's tons of books, like um, the chair, a chair for my mom, Alexander, I forgot the name of the exact title, but just do a quick Google search, like storybooks, um, child-friendly around money or something like that, because each of these stories offer you a conversation piece that if you're maybe particularly anxious, you can see how a family, which is a little bit a step away, grapples with a, maybe a money decision that they have to do and how they come together and problem solve. So it never becomes about, we ain't got it. <laughs> and then so we can never get it, you <laughs> right. know? So stop it, they'll ask me. It's like, how did they go about saving to achieve something? How did they go about it together? You know, how did they work together? So everyone isn't against each other. So you learn a lot when you read books that have a money theme um, that allows you to have conversations and then say, how can we do that together, you know, as a family? Or who do you think you're most like in this story? And how, you know, how can we maybe learn or what should we do differently from this character? And so uh, on top of getting great literacy skills, you're able to have a nice segue into a conversation about money that doesn't give your kids anxiety around money at an early age because it just becomes normalized in your household. And I think having conversations too, like around things that they can make a decision around. Like we want you, let's have a, a contest or making things fun. Let's have a contest around saving a hundred dollars. How could we do it? Are we going to save it? We're going to come up with a creative entrepreneurial idea. Can we start investing? You can introduce them to investing. Are we going to do it through chores? Like you get to have them identify what various aspects of money. So you just don't become a saver solely. You don't become a spender solely. You don't become an, an entrepreneur solely. You can just see to what extent they respond to those various experiences. And that becomes a part of them without having it be such a heavy thing down the line because you started off early. I love that. Listeners, that is so many gems dropped with respect to disrupting that that legacy of lack. And to your point, I'm really glad that you brought up, brought this out is that, you know, for those of us that did grow up where money was uncomfortable or, you know, you ask for something and be like, why are you always begging and, and that sort of thing? I mean, truth be told, I mean, yes, I am. I am leaps and bounds from how I grew up in terms of like financial and, and economic status. But trust, if I got to make a fried bologna sandwich, <laughs> you know, if, if things get that tight, I know how to boil up some beans and rice. We gonna eat, you know, we gonna make it. 
I'm not one of those people that when the stock market crashes, you know, all of a sudden I'm looking for the window because we know, we know how to, you know, many of us have lived that good times life. You know, we know how to scratch and survive at the same time. That does not have to be our legacy. Cara, this was so bomb. I am just floored with all of the gems that you dropped today. Please tell my audience how they can find you. If you're taking clients right now, like how can people take action with you if they want to move forward? Oh, well, thanks for having me. And I really love these kinds of conversations. Um, what I am, you can catch up with me on all the sites, all the platforms, Twitter, Frugal Feminista, Instagram, Frugal Feminista, LinkedIn, Kara Stevens, and Facebook, The Frugal Feminista. And what I would love, what I'll be opening doors a little in a few months is to my Abundance and Overflow Academy for women who know that information about money isn't just enough for them to actually move forward like how many times like we're quite thoughtful you know what i mean we have degrees but that doesn't mean you're gonna budget you know so that's true what abundance so like what abundance and overflow does like and like i said as a teacher and as a school administrator is like i actually sit with you for a couple hours a month like we do it together you create the sisterhood you share the wins so i would love if anyone's interested in having a spot and a, a support to be able to talk about your money journey, the, intri the intricacies of it, to get the support, to have someone be like, that's me too, or that's not me and you can learn from someone else, while still having guided support around creating your budget, eliminating your debt, you know, fixing your credit. So you can always appreciate, you know, good times and, and Thelma and Michael and JJ, but you ain't got to live it because you know you push yourself in that. <laughs> Next tambourine, yes. Right. <laughs> right. You don't, you don't, you, that doesn't have to be your story. Do you know what I mean? And I think, so all that to say is that Abundance and Overflow Academy is opening soon. So you can join my email list to be the first ones to learn about when that's coming and you'll be able to enroll and be a part of that community. And I will be sure to put that information in the show notes because listeners, I do not want you to be looking at your finances at the end of this year, like Florida Evans talking about, damn, 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 right. we're not doing that. We getting right. out of all of that. So Cara, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you truly from my soul. Mm -hmm. Listeners, if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up, hit Cara up at Dr. Shante says at Frugal Feminista, and we will see you next time.